Classroom, a podcast brought to you by Bright Side Up. I'm your host, Hannah Wise, and I am writing solo today because our other wonderful co-host, Rachel Mandel, is having a baby. So we recorded this in November, um, and she is expecting a baby girl. So we are very excited for Rachel, and we're wishing her the best on her maternity leave. Um, as her little family grows. So today I interviewed Fanny Glover and we talked about equity and inclusion in the classroom. So we have a great interview for you with Fanny. Um, Hope you enjoy. Fanny Glover is the Director of Equity and Inclusion at Early Care and Learning Council in New York. She is responsible for the equity, diversity, and inclusion efforts for the statewide network. ECLC is a statewide membership organization that represents 35 childcare resource and referral programs covering all 62 counties of New York State. Fanny has more than 15 years experience in human resources and holds a degree in organizational development. She also is a trained facilitator for the Anti-Defamation League, an organization designed to build bridges of communication, understanding, and respect among diverse groups. Fanny recently completed the Build Equity Leaders Action Network Fellowship, where she represented New York State as a part of a national team advancing racial equity in early childhood systems. She is a board member of Child Care Aware and the board member and workforce readiness director for New York State Society of Human Resource Management. So welcome, Fanny. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Hannah. It is a it's a pleasure. It's indeed a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. You're welcome. So, so that was that's quite the bio you have there, Fanny. So, let's start a little bit and kind of dig through that and talk about a little bit about your background and how you became to be the director of equity and inclusion at ECLC. Sure, not a problem at all. Um, well, um, I got my work started um, for in the for-profit world, where I worked for a large manufacturer and um, that had offices all over the world. And um, I, my first, <laughs> I don't know, uh, my first experience with diversity and inclusion, other than being a black woman, um, was writing the affirmative action plan for this organization. And at the time, even being a black woman, born and raised in the South, um, all during the marching and that sort of thing that took place, the civil rights movement, um, you know, I was still kind of like walking the peripheral edges of diversity and inclusion. And, um, and then I was tapped for, to be a facilitator for the Anti-Defamation League back in um, early 2000, I think it was like 2002. And I was still, you know, trying to get grounded. And I don't know if I really understood um, the work that I was engaging in at the time. And you know what was funny? Um, I, the, the, the vice president of human resources of the company that I was working for at the time, he, um, uh, because our corporate office was located in St. Louis, Missouri, still is there. And um, the vice president, he came and he was having a conversation with me one day and he asked me, he said, do you feel you've ever been discriminated against? And in my ignorance at the time, and I do say ignorance, I said, 
No. His exact words to me, and this is a white man, he said to me, he said, I don't think you knew when you were. Mm. And, um, and I thought that was an odd thing for him to say at the time. This is what I thought. And over the years, that comment, and this was back in the 80s, so this is a long time ago. Um, over the years, that comment has resonated with me in so many ways and so many spaces. And so fast forward to, um, I'd say, 2005, 2007, and those, during those years, I was doing a lot of diversity inclusion work, you know, because diversity and inclusion, you know, it started out affirmative action, then it moved into EOC, then it moved into diversity, then into inclusion, and then it moved into equity, and now we're seeing DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So as I made my way through those spaces, I found that um, I still wasn't grounded until 2015 when I was introduced to the BUILD initiatives, mm. when they were soliciting for um, equity leaders from around the country to be a part of this fellowship. And it wasn't until then that I realized that there was so much more than be, to being than being a nice diversity inclusion trainer consultant because I was trying to make my work palatable to everyone. And if anyone is doing this work over any length of time, you know it is everything but comfortable. Yeah. And so I was trying to make everybody comfortable and I was trying to make everyone like it. There's no way you can engage in this work and being comfortable. So um, you're not doing the work. I feel like <laughs> it has to be uncomfortable. You're not. You're not. But it wasn't until 2015 that I really got the idea that, hey, wait a minute, you really need to dig a little deeper. And once I did that, <clears throat> excuse me, this is when I had to dig a little deeper within myself. Mm. And I got grounded in who I am. And once I did that, then the work really began to happen. I, so I could honestly say, although I've been training and providing consultant work for years, it wasn't until 2015 that I had to find myself, identify who I am, and then embrace who I found out myself to be, and then bring that forward in the racial justice space that I work in now. If that makes sense. Yes. No, it definitely does. And I think this is a good way to kind of segue right into what that build fellowship was and kind of how you came to dig deeper into it get uncomfortable like what what did you learn during that fellowship because i think it was three years right and it was it was and it, it brought was together three years. people from all over the country and you traveled because yeah. you spoke at our annual conference and i think you were just wrapping up the fellowship at that point so it was just fascinating to learn about. So if you can speak, you know, briefly to that experience and what kind of led you to dig deeper into this work. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for asking because it is probably one of the most profound experiences I've had. Um, during that time period, um, Build came out swinging. <laughs> the, you know, even though there were people in the room in the class that had gone through lots and lots of 
training and consulting, and they believed, as I did, that we had pretty much arrived because we had been doing diversity work for a while, right? Right, right. And then, um, so being selected as one of the 36 fellows from people from around the country, including um, Guam, we're sitting in this room and we're ready to help everybody understand what they need to know about equity. And what did they do? They stripped us down, stripped us down subconsciously to figure out who we were. And they brought us into different experiences. And the one experience that was the most profound for myself was going back to my home state, South Carolina. So you actually went now, back. What? Was that a part yes. of the program that everyone kind of That was to? absolutely. Wow. They took us four different locations. And the first one they took us to was um, Charleston, South Carolina. Now, unbeknownst to them, this was a place I did not want to go to. Um, and the reason I didn't want to go there, because as a black woman growing up in rural South Carolina, and if you listen to me, you hear the accent, and um, have been in New York for so long, some people say, oh, you're from the Caribbean, and all these other places. No, I'm from Charleston. I'm not Charleston. Actually, I'm from a little place called Rizzo, but it was not too far from Charleston, South Carolina. And, um, and there was a language. It was called the Gullah Geechee language. And at the time, and most people today, the dominant culture at the time said it was a broken language, but it wasn't. It isn't. It's a language. And it sounds like a combination of English and African words and verbiage placed in there. And, um, and so when I first left South Carolina, I went to Florida and um, I was teased mercifully by many people who would say things like, oh, you're just one of those Carolina Geechees and, and who doesn't know how to talk. You don't know how to speak because I was speaking much of the Gullah language. And so I was embarrassed. So I wanted to get as far away as I possibly could from the language, and I wanted to get as far away as I possibly could from the culture because I didn't know who I was at the time. But going back, which is what Elon did, which is what Bill did, mm -hmm. they took us back to experience cultures. And it was during that trip back to Carolina, South Carolina, that I realized that it was okay to speak the Gullah Geechee language, although I've forgotten most of it today because I tried so hard to get away from it. And it was okay to embrace that culture. So to make a long story shorter, I, for the first time, 2015, I embraced the culture I came from and I embraced the language I spoke. And no longer did I feel inferior. And once I was able to establish my position within myself and, and got my foundation solid, then I was able to look at work around equity, mm -hmm. racial equity in particular. So um, they, in my opinion, they saved me from myself. 
They meaning build build initiatives. They saved me for myself. The Equity Leaders Action Network Fellowship saved me from spiraling into a place that I no longer knew who I was Mm -hmm. to today where not only do I know who I am, but I'm proud of where I came from. I'm proud that I use language that I was talking to my son yesterday. And he said, oh, my God, there it is. I said, yes, it is. And I'm proud to say it will be there forever. (laughs) So did you use the Gullah language? I did, but here's the thing, um, Hannah, because I worked so hard and ran away from it for so long, I didn't teach it to my son because I was so ashamed and I didn't want him to learn the language and the culture and to be embarrassed. I didn't do that. So as a result of that, I've only remained, um, retained a few phrases and words. However, when I go back to visit, family, which is very rare, I, I can get right back into the conversation immediately. And as they talk, I understand everything they're saying. And um, it, it, is, it is such a rewarding experience. And, and if I had not participate in that fellowship, I would have lost that. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't have made me who I am today. So that was probably one of the most rewarding experiences I've had. They did it through, they did a, had a lot of COPs and monthly meetings and interacting with others from other states. And we saw other cultures, we visited. And as a result of that, I saw others embrace their cultures proudly. Yeah, and, that and from yeah. It just must have been so inspiring. It sounds incredibly inspiring and freeing to just be able, you know, to finally be able to embrace your culture and and accept it. And now, you know, hopefully your son will feel the same way because you're leading him in that direction too. Oh, well, I well, I I don't know whether he's going to take that that trip since he's a grown man and he's already adapted his own, but he, he does, he doesn't have the insecurities I have. Right, right. He, he definitely does not have the insecurities, but it was uh, one of the best experiences I ever had. And I, I'm, I'm trying to do, I'm attempting to do some of that work with the group next year in 2021, because it was so profound and had so such a profound effect on myself and the work that I do. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing about that. And I'll just say that, you know, we heard you speak, I think it was 2018 when you were wrapping it up at our annual conference. And, you know, your talk was so inspiring and so impactful to so many people here at Bright Side Up that, you know, you're, it's definitely working. I can say that. And you can tell that, um, like we just learned so much from you. It was a very eye-opening presentation. So, oh, um, thank you, Hannah. Yes, you're welcome. So, I want to switch a little bit. So, we have some time to talk about bring this, bring your work back to like how we um, apply this to the classroom. And I know that you talk a lot about um, talk about how equity and inclusion in the classroom is led by the adult and not by the children. So, which I think might be some flip thinking for some of us. So can you kind of expand on what you mean by that? Absolutely. 
you know, um, I, I see a lot of training that or presentations that we should be, um, how we should teach children about racism. We do it every day, every second of the day by our own behaviors. Mm-hmm. Children learn from observing us. Yeah. They learn from the way we frown or smile at that person who may look very differently than ourselves. They, even babies, they're watching our expressions and picking up on our energy. And so when we talk about how do we address this in the classroom, we do it by first addressing the mindset and the biases of the adults. Because I, this is what I know, and I, and I believe more people are finally, you know, wrapping their arms around this, and that is that we all have biases. And the best way to um, start addressing those is by addressing them within ourselves. Mm-hmm. I know that just recently, my six-year-old grandson, um, whose mother is Native American and Italian. My son is African American. And he said to me, because he looks more like his mother, he's in, in color. He said to me, he said, I am so glad that mommy and me are white. And I said, what? <laughs> and, um, and it took a while for me to wrap my mind around that. And after probing gently, yeah. He told me that one of her older um, relatives said to her, said to him, that white is white. And so it's amazing. And and he is six years old. This was said to him over a year ago. And and that locked into his consciousness. And so we started talking about that and that there's no one race better than the other. And um, so I had a conversation with mom and dad and, um, and and, I mean, you know, they all live together beautifully. And, and I was really surprised that he said that. And, um, but it is reinforced. That thought is reinforced by the way he witnessed dominant culture interacting with, you know, people of color. Mm -hmm. He even said, he said, well, the children that look like me in the classroom, they get nicer things or they get to do more things. I mean, even he's six years old. Oh, yeah. And he's already recognizing this. So it is imperative that we all find out, think, like, I may think that, oh, I have my biases, but I check it at the door. Impossible impossible because whatever is going on in the consciousness whatever is going on in the mind it is going to show up in the classroom and we have these little eyes that are watching absorbing and hopefully absorbing the nicer things that we need them to absorb right right that's that's so fascinating and i think bias is something that you know we all obviously struggle with but i think that you you are right that there is more of an awareness for, you know, making sure that you do kind of check your biases a little bit. And, you know, there's the implicit biases that is impossible 
you know, but how, what is your advice then for the adults or the teachers in the classroom so that their implicit bias isn't kind of shown to, to these children who they should be all treated equally? And, you know, how do we create that equity in the classroom? Do the homework. And the homework means, I'm serious, do the homework by, if, if, I know right now we have COVID going on, so there's not a lot of visiting different sites and that sort of thing that we can do, but we can Google and YouTubes are out there. And, and, and having conversations with people who are different than yourself interacting with people that are different than you. Even if you're in a classroom where all the children look primarily alike, be intentional about the work in reaching out to different cultures, mm -hmm. individuals with um, varying abilities, um, gender, sexual orientation, um, different, just reaching out to yeah. others that are different than yourself and, and moving away from the comfort zone. You know, I'm very comfortable being with this group of people, so I'm with them all the time. No, step outside of that. Do you know in 2010, 79% of the population in the state of New York were white? I mean, 71%, I apologize. 71%, 29% were people of color. In 10 short years, it's 50-50. Wow. Short years, it's 50-50. That's just on race. We're not even talking about all the other differences that right. are here. So we, we can't continue to move forward and say um, it has always worked this way. It doesn't work that way any longer. Mm -hmm. So what can we do as adults? Step outside of our comfort zones, explore. Be willing to explore. Take a look at who you have within your inner circle. Take a look at who are the people that I'm interacting with on a constant basis. Mm -hmm. What conversations am I having? Am I checking those who are saying things that are totally um, off point, especially when you're talking about race and gender and all these other spaces? I mean, let's wear the men in our classroom. Bring them. Yes. Let's bring them into our classroom. My God. Yeah. We have to start with checking with ourselves, checking ourselves. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, like, you know, I'm hearing you say, like, try as much as you can. You know, kids need teachers and leaders in the classroom that also look like them. So Absolutely. creating a diverse classroom, not just only the kids, but also the leaders and the teachers in there um, will only help the children if they can see a teacher grown up that looks like them. That is Absolutely. powerful and, you know, will only help them to do better. Absolutely. And, and it's something that you said that, Hannah, because I just had this conversation over the weekend with someone and I said, do you know when I was growing up, I only saw teachers of color and preachers. Those were the only, I didn't even see it on TV. 
so naturally, those were the only spaces I thought that I could land in as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I was not interested in either. (laughs) Teacher or the preacher. Yes. And, um, and so you're so right, Dow children need to see representation to see that it is, yeah, I can be a teacher, I can be a principal, I can be a superintendent, mm-hmm. I can be president of the United yes. States of America. <laughs> yes, that is awesome. Um, so you mm-hmm. mentioned when you're talking about doing the work, now I'm going to ask you if you have any specifics, because you mentioned, you know, like, I know that we are like seeing and interacting with, with a diverse community is the best thing that we can do. But since we are kind of not supposed to be mixing and mingling right now, do you have any, um, you know, you mentioned some YouTube videos or some resources, some books, anything that we can put out there to get um, people reading and learning that way? Yes. Oh my God. There's so much. Um, (laughs) I, um, I'm trying to think of some books right offhand. Um, because there's so many that they could definitely, um, racism without races. Um, um, there's, um, oh gosh, I can't think of, uh, Dr. Imbrams. He has this amazing book. And, um, if you can't think of the titles, we can like, you can email it to me and we can link them all on the show notes. I will. I will definitely do that because um, that was not one of the things that I did. And I could, oh my God, there are so many great books out there. Yes. So many great books out there. And I've read so many of them and I, yeah, there's so many. And this right now, my mind is like going blank. No, 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 that's totally fine. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that list up and we'll post it so folks can start diving into that. Um, or reading Absolutely. something that you already read. It's always good to refresh on that. And I know um, I'm looking forward to that list too, because this is work that I have wanted to do and want to continue doing um, and think that it's super important, especially as I am in the classroom teaching and I'm mostly teaching children that don't look like me. So it's, it's very mm-hmm. important for me to understand where I'm coming from and where the kids are coming from um, and just to try to bridge that gap. There's so many. I will definitely send you a list of books, Hannah, because okay. um, I see the cover of the book and yes. the names are just. Yeah. yeah, that's how I am, too. I'm a very visual person. So I could tell you I am. the color, what's on the book, but not the name yes. of the author. Yes. So. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I will definitely send those to you. Great. Well, thank you so much, Fanny. This was wonderful and very inspiring episode. Um, and I think our listeners will really enjoy it. This is great stuff. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you had me on. And I appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. And the only thing I can say is keep up the good work. Thanks, Fanny. You too. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And that's it for this week. Check out our show notes page at brightsideup.org. Thank you for listening. By doing so, you are helping to create a world where all children are understood.